Amen. God is in the house. <laughs> and you're in the house. So that's a good thing. Um, I'm so excited this morning to jump back into Ephesians. Um, you know, we kind of took a, a side journey. The men of destiny, these, uh, uh, thank you, these past few weeks. And um, we're jumping back in this morning. So if you have a Bible, we are in Ephesians chapter 3. And if you don't, uh, we're going to read it together this morning. Would you stand with me? This is Ephesians 4, and we are going to be beginning in verse 14 this morning. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so thankful. God, we, we just invite you into our hearts this morning. Make home, make residence, dwell in us. God, we just invite you and we, we say we surrender this morning to you, to your word. You have freedom to speak deeply into our lives this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen, amen. and amen. So, Ethan, we're going to uh, throw up a video on the screen here, but don't worry because there's no audio, so you're cool. <laughs> I recently saw this ad for a documentary about the life of Robin Williams. I don't know if any of you guys saw this. Robin Williams, comedian I, I grew up with as a kid, watching his crazy energy, you know, as a genie in Aladdin. And then, you know, in his later years, you know, being, being counseled by him in Goodwill Hunting, and Patch Adams, and Hook, right? Right? And so, so anyhow, maybe like some of you in the room, you know, I was influenced him in my, my early years and when I was a kid. And, and in this trailer, they were talking about his childhood. And there are quotes from him saying, I wrestled with this fear of abandonment my entire childhood. And the stage became a place where he could succeed. And in that success, feel love. And so the stage became where he found love, which you, you kind of feel good about, the fact that we all loved him, but you know, bad about the fact that it was his performance that made him feel valued. And, and at the end of the trailer is a quote from him saying this. It says, you're only given a spark of madness. And if you lose it, you're nothing. And I thought, that's so tragic, you know, that he believed that. And, and that drove him to take his life, as many of us know. So then there's this report that was released by the, the Center for Disease Control documenting the dramatic rise of suicide in the United States in less than 20 years. Uh, the suicide rate in the U.S. has increased 25%. 25% since 1999. We've had some high-profile deaths lately. Kate Spade, the designer, the entrepreneur who is widely successful in the fashion world, took her life this June. And then Anthony Bourdain, shortly after, famous chef, successful author, host of a TV show, took his own life that same month. And some of us, you know, will look at that and go, well, you know, those are the creative people. That's a West Coast thing. We're in the Midwest. We're a picture of health. A dear friend of ours in Bayfield, and our next door neighbor, found his daughter in her bedroom right after she had taken her own life, just weeks before we, we made our move up to South Dakota. And as a pastor on staff, I was called and I walked over to their house from my front door right after he was exiting his house from that discovery. And they're, they're really 
there's no words to explain, you know, what that was like. Suicide deaths in South Dakota reached an all-time high in the year 2017. The calls received to the National Suicide Hotline from South Dakota went up 43% from 2014 to 2017. There were 192 suicide deaths in our state last year. The highest number ever recorded in the state. Now, I, okay, I didn't come this morning to, to bring gloom and doom. I really didn't. In fact, what I believe, there's a prophetic word uh, for our state that there's, this is a time for new wineskins and new life. And for, for our people, for the, the church to, to really rise up and to bring light into the darkness. And can anybody say amen to that? Amen. And so, you know, but June, June felt a little bit like this barrage of death, and it prompted me to think, you know, something is wrong here. And here, here are these people who have the fame and the success and all the money and the awards that so many of us feel will give us peace and give us a sense of personal acceptance that we're longing for. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, any of these, you know, high-profile cases were looking for success and well-being and those things. I don't know them. But here's what I do know. I know that many of us are. <laughs> And, and, and it, if I can just do these things and acquire these things, then I'll be okay and everything will be okay with me, right? And so in here stands these, these people that we put up on pedestals, and we've seen this story before who got those things, and they're not okay. And so we've been talking about Abraham Lincoln, it seems, a little bit frequently. I don't know if you guys have known this, but there was some personal diaries and journals that kind of came to, to light recently, and so we're learning more about his personal life. And so um, it, after he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, one of the first conversations he had was with a dear friend of his where he thanked him for keeping him from killing himself two decades earlier. That Abraham Lincoln had got to a place where a bad relational breakup, combined with some failures at his work, produced this kind of cocktail where he didn't want to live anymore. And it was only because he was embedded in a group of dear friends that we loved him and that we got him and that we received the impact that he had in our country. And I looked at that and think, this is a universal problem in humanity that I think God wants us to get to. And what scares me, as I look at this, what kept him alive was the community that he was embedded in to fall back into. But as we've been talking about this, and I, I look at this and I think, man, isol isolation and insulation are the hallmarks of our culture. In fact, if you, if you, kind, of, you kind of look at there, there's a generation right now that they say is the most con connected generation, right? That age group has the highest rate of loneliness. And, and it's also interesting to note that, that that age group is a big chunk of the people that, you know, at large are starting to recognize aren't in the church. And so what we have and what we, what we do does not make for a healthy life. And interestingly, I think God is trying to make us aware that what's, that what's going to determine the health of our life is what we believe. What we believe. And what I believe is going to help me live. And what I have and what I do are not sufficient. It's what I believe that will keep me standing when life is hard. So what do you believe that life's really about? Right? And so if, you value, if your value in life is hooked into something transient like a career or success or possessions money and economies and jobs, they all kind of fall flat and they turn down, don't they? We have our sense of self anchored into two transitive things. And so we need it anchored in, on sterner stuff. So first thing on your notes this morning, if we get a right belief, the right life will take care of itself. Seek ye first, right? The kingdom of God and then all these things. There was an article published in the, the American Political Science Review in 2012. Scientologist Robert Woodbury had done this study over decades of research on, on the missionary impact in the health of nations, studying what missionaries do when they arrive in nations. And he just wanted to see, this wasn't a Christian study, but what was fascinating about the article, he says, quote, hit him like an atomic bomb is he said, the work of missionaries turns out to be the single largest factor in ensuring the health of nations. And what he found 
was areas where there were Protestant missionaries had a significantly higher presence and on average were more economically developed today comparatively, better health, lower infant mortality rate, lower corruption in the government, and higher literacy rates, higher educational attainment, especially for women. And, and he conceded there are, there are racist missionaries, there are self-centered ones that go in for, for wrong reasons. But if that was, that was the average effect, you'd expect the, the places that you see missionaries to be on the whole much worse. And he says, but what you see is the exact opposite. And, and so he, then he makes the distinction. This is, this is just not where there are missionaries. And he coined this term that didn't exist until this report. He says, these positive effects only count where there are conversionary Protestants, which is not a branch of the Protestants. He, ma he made it up. But what he was trying to say is it's people who believe that God converts you on the inside, that they're not there trying to change social causes. They're, they're there to see God change a heart, right? And so he says missionaries often oppose, you know, the unjust things and destructive practices like, you know, opium addiction and slavery. But, but most of these missionaries were not political activists, but reform came through them through the back door, so to speak. He said all of these positive incomes, outcomes um, were, were somewhat uh, unintended, which, which I would say was, is wrong. I would say, you know, this is what he said. They, they didn't aim at these wonderful changes in their society, but they got them on accident. No, sir. No, sir. It's not an accident. So what Jesus said was, change the root and the fruit will be good, right? And so if, if you can change your heart, it will change your life. If you can change your beliefs, it will change the way that you live. And so there's something important about the reason why Paul has not told us anything to do yet in Ephesians. He just keeps trying to get at the foundations of what we believe first. That's where we're still at. And we're in chapter three now. So Woodbury received this fascinating amen from someone that you wouldn't expect it from. There's this British columnist, his name is Matthew Paris, who is an avowed atheist. And yet he wrote this article a couple years ago entitled, as an atheist, I believe Africa needs God. Pretty pro provocative title. And he posted it on Richard Dawkins' website of all places, who is an evolutionary biologist. Surprise, right? So, so Matthew grew up in Malawi and he, and he visited his childhood home. And when he got there, he was gonna investigate this pump that had been installed in the village that he grew up in to provide clean water. And when he got there, he said, it inspired and renewed my flagging faith and charities. He said, but traveling in Malawi refreshed another belief too. One I've been trying to banish my entire life. An observation I've been unable to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refused to fit my worldview, has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. But now as a confirmed atheist, I've con I'm convinced, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa sharply distinct from the works of secular NGOs. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation and the rebirth is real. The change is good. I used to avoid this truth by applauding, if you can, the practical work of missionary churches. I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate missionaries to help, fine. But what counted was the help, not the faith. But this does not fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It's transferred to the flock, and this effect matters so immensely, I cannot help but observing it. And then he goes on to talk about, after a while, it became a joke. As I was working amongst the people, I would see uh, there were men that were optimistic and kind and loving, and he said, sure enough, I'd find a Bible in their car. <laughs> I, I would find them gone on Sunday morning and they were at church. And he said, the people that are making the greatest difference are the people who have had the greatest difference made in them. And by the end of it, he says, if we want to see transformation in Africa, I believe a system must be supplanted. And he says, I'm afraid it might be if we moved Christian evangelism from the African equation, we might leave the continent at the mercy of a malign fusion 
of Nike and the witch doctor, the mobile phone and the machete. He said, we have to put Jesus in their hearts. The atheist. For the sake of what they do, we need to change what they believe. He said, if we don't get to their beliefs, then what are they left with? Technological distraction and anger, which is the world we have. A world that can't support enough reason to live. And so, you go, that's a long intro, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what I'm trying to show is that the world is already preaching the text for us. That we need a change of heart if we're going to see a change in life. And so I've, I've got to get your beliefs before I tell you what to do. So, so I could stand here and give you, you know, the three happy hops to be better with your finances. We could do that. But at the end of the day, that's not going to matter if you're wondering if life's worth living. So that we need some steel in our foundation for when the storms come. And so Paul has been praying that over us that we would get this. And, and so there are books that you can read on, on how people survive in different situations, right? You've seen those and, and you know, how, how do they make it when life goes sideways? You have whole TV shows and series, you know, Survivor Man, how do you, how do, you do this? What's going to make the difference? And so one of these books, it goes to the, the Naval Survival Institute in Pensacola, Florida, and they ask a former Marine drill instructor who runs the Survival Institute, what's the key to survival? And what's, what's his immediate, without hesitation, response? He says, faith in God. That's the only key element in all survival scenarios is a force multiplier. They went to the vice admiral, um, his name is Stockdale, the highest ranking officer who survived the POW camps in Vietnam. And they said, how did you last 7.5 years in that horrible place? He said, an unswerving commitment that there was something good in my future. Hope, in other words, hope. And, and looking at the Civil War, what was the secret to keep the troops out there fighting a battle that was difficult. We completely, I don't know if you remember this, we completely renovated the postal system because we knew that they needed to see pictures of the people who loved them and to get letters from people that, you know, loved them. And so what's going to keep you alive? It's, it's a fascinating that this was a simple study of survival, but the conclusion that they came to, <laughs> interesting, faith, hope, love. I think that maybe God understands something about the human machine, huh? <laughs> and what's, what's going to be there for you when the bottom drops out? So Paul prays for us, and he says, this is, start with verse 14, for this reason. And I'm, I'm not going to uh, give all the context behind that. In the early part of chapter 3, he's talking about why God has called him to be a minister. But he's building this off of what we talked about in chapter 2, that God is building a community and by his grace, he's drawn in anybody and everybody to become family for his glory. And then he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. And what's cool about that is, is that wasn't the common stance for prayer back in the day. They found some of the oldest drawings of Christians praying and it looks like they're standing with their hands up. And, and so you could fall on your knees, but it was usually a sign of this great submission when you did that. And you could tend to think it was, you know, Paul, you know, being Paul, he's being overly dramatic again. Come on, Paul. But I think that maybe he knows just how much we need this. And he's begging God that we understand what he's about to tell us that we need to know before he gets into these 41 commands that are coming later in Ephesians and the rest of the book. You've got to get this part right. So I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I love that. Before he talks to God, he's like, he's the daddy of all y'all. <laughs> so you can't write this off. You can't say, oh, this is for the Christians. This is, this is for the, you know, the weak or the religious people who, lead, who need a little something more to endure. No, this is a God who is talking to all of us and we all need this from him. So every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory. I love that. In, in keeping with the abundance of his spectacularness and a level that's just, it's on the same level with his awesomeness. That's how this is the language that Paul uses. He may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner, inner being. That's his prayer. 
I'm praying that the power gets inside of you by his very spirit. Getting into the deepest part of you. For what purpose? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he said, what I'm begging for God to do is to give you the strength that Jesus Christ will be at home inside of you. And that word dwell is a strong word. It's, it's not a visitor. On your notes, it means a settled and continued presence. It's not a temporary resident. It's, it's, it is someone who's moved in. It's not a renter. It's an owner. And he's saying, I'm praying that Jesus is at home inside of you, settled in you. There's a big difference between dwelling and visiting. There's a big difference between living in a house and visiting a house, right? My, my wife has a very giving heart. And over the years, we've had several people just kind of move in with us. It's just been part of our story when the, when the need arises. And so we've, we've, we have several times as a married couple, we've had people around our home, young women that she's mentoring along the way or rescuing from a bad situation. She invites them in and they are there for a while. And so you can always tell, can't you, when people have moved from just visiting to dwelling. There's, there's a, the visitors, you know, they kind of stay in the foyer, you know, they're, they're, they're right and proper, you know, right by the front door, and they look to see if the kids take off their shoes, and if they do, you know, they'll take off their shoes, and it's all very proper, and it's like, I'll go where I'm invited, and, and you can tell when somebody's rolled with you long enough, because then they just walk in, and then they, like, open up the fridge, <laughs> And that, they, 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 you know, that's usually the secret. You know you've turned the corner relationally when they just go in and open up the fridge and they already know all the contents inside and where to find what they want to find, right? And so they, they walk into the living room and they sit down and it's, they know how to operate all three remotes, you know? They can turn on the sound. The relationship has entered a new phase at that point, right? When you, when you, when you get this one and you turn on the sound and this one turns on the big screen and this is the surround stuff and say, oh, okay, and they've already downloaded that movie on Apple TV that they like, you know, they've moved in. So those are friends that have moved in and become part of the family. Why? Because they're settled there. They're at home there. You're comfortable there. You're invited here. You have a place here. And Paul's saying, what I'm praying for you guys is that Jesus feels that way inside of you. This is not a picture about conversion, asking Jesus into your heart. This, that's not what he's talking about. It's about people who already trust Jesus. So what he's saying is, I'm praying that Jesus is at home inside of you. Not, not just that you know him, but that he feels welcomed into every part of your house. So see, some of us want to keep spirituality confined, right? We've got, we've got the rooms in our house. And, you know, we've got the doors wide open on Sunday, provided, you know, we're out in a reasonable enough time to get brunch, <laughs> you know, at the buffet. Uh, you know, others of you go, may, may go, you know, man, I want Jesus to be in these parts of my life. You know, I, I pray about sick family members. Um, I pray about minor crises in my life. Um, I pray about him giving me a boyfriend um, or something like that. You know, I have, I have a kind of set things that I pray for. But there are other rooms in my house that maybe he's not invited in. And what Paul's praying here is, I pray you feel like he's invited in every part. That he could just walk right into the kitchen and open up the fridge door. <laughs> and, and, you know, have a conversation maybe with you about what you're eating. <laughs> oh, Lord, don't go there. And that he'd feel welcomed, maybe. Even in your bathroom, when you're thinking whatever it is that you think about while you're looking in the mirror, is Jesus there? Does what, he, does what he says about you factor into the decisions that you're making or the thoughts that are entering as you're looking at yourself in the mirror? He wants to be in that moment with you. That he's invited into the bedroom with you, that the thoughts that you think at night, that the decisions that are rolling around that you believe most intimately is he a part of those? But, but you shut the door and you lock him out. 
you know, he says, I just want Jesus to feel at home in every part of your life, in every moment of your life. And some of us, we keep spirituality in the safe place. And he says, no, I want Jesus to feel right at home in every part. The parts that you cleaned and you dusted and you feel good about, and the parts that are a mess and yucky and kind of that you don't want him to see. He said, I want him to be at home. And some of you hear that and go, well, Sean, I don't like that. That sounds intrusive. Spirituality has its place in my life. You know, it's, and it, and it, it's, it's not welcome to speak into these other areas. I don't, I don't want to let Jesus into my decisions in this part of my life. He's not welcome to help me factor these things. I don't want to let, I, I have goals here. I have commitments. I have comforts here that he cannot touch. I have parts of my life where he's not welcomed in. And Paul's saying, I'm praying that God will give you the strength to open the door and let him in. And you respond, well, I don't want that. And you know why someone would be saying that? It's because you don't know him very well. (laughs) Because you don't trust him. And maybe it's because you think if he steps into this part of my life, well, he's going to be a taker and not a giver. He'll take some of the things from me. He'll say no to some of the things from me. And I don't know if I can, there's some things that I, I want to feel good about myself. And, 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 And he'll rob that of me. There are some things that I find comfort in and he'll take those things away. And so I don't want him in that part of my life. And I, was, I would just say, I would just respectfully, with, with, with as much love as I can say, maybe it's just because you don't know him. But there are parts in our lives where we're deeply hurting. And what Paul is saying, I'm praying that God would give you the strength to let Christ be settled in those places. Why? For what purpose? Verse 17, so that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why does Christ want to enter every part of your life? Is it to judge you? Is it to condemn you? Is it to take from you? No. Paul says, the more you're comfortable with Jesus meeting you in every quiet place, the more by faith he'll begin to convince you how deeply loved you are. That's what you need. (laughs) How can someone with a successful TV show, with such a successful life, go back to his hotel and take his own life? Because there were rooms in his house that were closed off. that only he was there. And the darkness grew there and it, and it overtook the front of the house. It's important that we get this. Jesus, are you welcomed into every part? I promise when you begin to pray like that, Jesus start analyzing the, the way that I think about my identity, the way I think about my sexuality, the, the, the think about my relationships come in You know, what you're going to find is that he's going to come in not to condemn you, but to love you and to speak life to you. A God that will come in and say, I want to be in every part, because here's what's going to happen when Christ dwells in your heart and faith. You will be rooted and grounded in love. I, I love that he switches the imagery. I want Christ to be settled in you so that you'll be rooted I want you to be settled so that you can be settled. (laughs) Like roots planted deep, and then it says grounded. That's a building architectural term. Rooted and grounded with a firm foundation. You will look up and you will see the immensity of the love that God has for you. The more you let the love of God in, the more you'll see the love of God move out. This is important, church. The more you'll let Christ into the deepest part of you, the more you'll see the immensity of of Christ's love all around you. I want you rooted in the foundation of the love of God. I love that because for so many of us, we're trying to fix the problems of our life ourselves. Men are especially good at that, right? I'll take care of it. I can take care of myself. Like somebody, it's like somebody who's in a house 
with a big, huge crack on the ceiling, and they're putting spackling over it. We'll fix this. We'll make it better. You know, or the, the wall cracks and you put some new sheetrock on it, right? Hey, there's a leak over there. Well, let's just put some duct tape on it. Not a, you know, or move a plant in front of it. That'll, that'll take care of that. Right? And the reality is you try to fix a bunch of little problems when it's your foundation that's bad. That's a good rule for dating, too, ladies and gentlemen. Just an idea. If you see a lot of cracks in a guy or a girl, well, I can fix that about him. <laughs> be careful. Be careful because his foundation might be cracked. <laughs> That's right, mama. <laughs> so in the reality is some of us are trying to fix, you know, if I could just lose this weight, if I could just get this job, if I, if I could just get this money, I'll be fine. But the truth is when you're thinner and richer and more successful, you might still be without hope. For many people, they get all those things, then it scares them even more because then they go, now I've got it all and I still feel empty. That's a terrifying place. You need to work on the foundation. You need to be rooted in something greater. And Paul says, man, I want Christ to be welcome in every part of your life so that your life is rooted in him. Him settled in me and I'm settled in him. The more I begin to plant my roots in him, the more I look up and I see the breadth of his love. The more I let his love move into the broken parts of me, the more I see how wide his love is, the breadth of it. That was chapter two of Ephesians, that his love reaches all the way to the Jew and to the Gentile. His love will reach to the arrogant, stuck up, religious kid, and the craziest guy that's just leaving the bar smashed across the street. Anybody's welcome. You are and I am, and the more I get rooted him Rooted in me, the more I see I'm rooted in a love that extends far wider than my love extends. And I see the length of his love, that he didn't start loving you when you got your life right. He didn't start loving you when you got your doo-doo together. <laughs> he didn't start loving you when you came to Destiny Foursquare Church. He, he, we found out in chapter one what he said is he loved you before the foundations of the earth were laid, before the, the beginning of the cosmos came into being. And he said, I'm going to love that person. I'm going to come to him and I'm going to move towards him. You know, that he so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ into the world, that Jesus' arrival was a declaration of love for you, that his death on the cross was a declaration of love for you, that he came for you, he sacrificed for you. And then even now he sent a person to you to begin to talk to you and to tell you about the love of God. And you, you start to see that the love of God extends into eternity past and then it goes racing into the future. That in the ages to come, I will be a declaration of his grace to the world. That's my future. The more you begin to root yourself in the love of God, the more you start to see how surrounded by it I am. That the, that, that the breadth of it, the length of it, the depth of it. There is no sin that his love can't get under. There's no darkness in your life that he cannot drown. To start to see the depth of the love of God and the, the height of it. It will take even people like you and even people like me, not just to a place of being acceptable, but to a place of being prized. At the right hand of the Father. That's where we are. That's if I get this right, that I, that I get Christ rooted, settled in me, that I'm rooted in him. Jesus settled in me. No matter how the circumstances change, I know where I am. I know that I'm loved. The most well-adjusted children are those that know that they're surrounded by love. The most well-adjusted adults are the same. I'm rooted in the love of God. I'm surrounded by the love of God. When I get that right, the result, scripture, I will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what's gonna happen, filled with all the fullness of God. Now, 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 now let me clarify this. Some of you are like, oh, this is great. How's this work? Okay. He's praying, he's praying that the Spirit of God would give this to us, and the Spirit uses means. And I think the first thing is Holy Spirit himself. It's a prayerful submission to God. And I go, help me see. Holy Spirit, 
help me see. For, for me, every day, you know, I try to open up the word of God and I ask him and I say, you know, help me see the wonderful things in your word. Help me, help me to be the person who can see you. And, and so I ask him that, Holy Spirit and God, the Father are there, but I, I, I may not see them. So every day I come submitted in prayer. And, and so for a lot of us, our prayers are all over the place. You know, we sit down and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll pray the prayer and we'll say, Father, you know, I just, I just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for the food that we're ha having. May it nourish my body. Even though I never use the word nourish in any other conversation, I'm not really clear what I'm asking you to do with this food anyway, but if, if, I, don't, if I don't say this, will it make any difference, you know? And, and like, really, please bless us today, even though that's fairly vague and I don't even know what I'm asking, and bless the whole world and all the babies, amen. <laughs> and we just, pray, we just pray a prayer that kind of just means nothing. And, and, and so I, I, I get to the place where I decided I didn't want to pray like that anymore. And so I began at one point in my life to, to write in my journal and I'd wake up in the morning. Now I don't know how you wake up, you know, but I, I, you know, I typically take a bit to get fully functional. I mean, some of you, you know, maybe you're different. You got up this morning and you're like, ah, you know, a chance to praise the Savior, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just arrived and you're leading all of us here this morning. And that's, that's not me. It takes me a while. So just to be honest, so I, I, I wake up and I write, you know, how are you feeling? I'll write that on my journal and then maybe the next words are not so positive sometimes. You know, and it, it might be something along the lines of stressed, tired, overwhelmed, exhausted sometimes, right? And, and then I do what the psalmist taught me to say, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? And I start going, where's, where's all this coming from? Because all that's gonna affect you and all that's gonna impact you. But I start asking, why am I like this? And I start to pray about it in the spirit uh, start speaking and saying, well, here's all of me. I surrender. It's not just the pretty parts, but here's the ugly parts too. Here's all of me. And then into that moment of, of, of submission, then I insert scripture, the very word of God. Get the word of God into those quiet places and you open up the door to the word of God and let it speak to me. I let him talk to me and I begin to sit over the scripture and I begin to just think on it, dwell on it. And so, you know, early on in the church, there was all kinds of challenges. When you read through the Pentateuch, the book of Leviticus, and you can watch Moses lead in every chapter, and something goes horribly wrong. I mean, rebellion broke out. They wanted to kill him. Then his brother is leading a rebellion. Then the snakes start biting them. And I remember that. I'm thinking, well, my life's not so bad. Yeah, I'm, maybe I'm done complaining. <laughs> and it was, it's, it's odd. It's very encouraging to be like, well, the people who are in the will of God have challenges, <laughs> you know? It's, it's, it's always that way, and that doesn't mean that God is not there. God led Moses to that great and terrible wilderness to do well for him, didn't he? And, and God will lead me through whatever challenges are in my life, and I found that submission in Scripture helps me in spirit-filled friends. And I don't mean a, you know, a special class where you've got to look up and see a cloud over their heads. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I mean. What I mean by spiritual friends is praying that the Holy Spirit would strengthen people around me, fill people with around me that I uh, uh, have in my, my circle so that you, I might comprehend along with all the saints, as the scripture says here, the height and the breadth and the depth and the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He says, I'm praying that you do it as a community that you get people around you who love you, that can talk with you. For me, this, this last weekend at men's retreat was, was therapeutic. I had some long, slow, non-rushed conversations with some guys that brought life to me. And I didn't even know that I needed it. I, I, didn't, I, you know, I, I did not even know I needed that kind of encouragement. I'm, but I'm so grateful that God you know, builds that kind of friendship like he does. We need people who care about us submitted to God and the scripture of God, surrounded by the saints of God, and we begin to grasp the love of God. And when we do, then what happens? We are filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what does that mean? It's interesting. Spurgeon talks about this, and I love how he talks about it. How am I filled with all the fullness of God? God's really big. And Spurgeon says, you're like a bottle. Say we took this bottle. The, the, idea, the idea is that I'm positioning my life to hear from God's word, to submit to his Holy Spirit, praying that he would fill me, praying that he would help me, getting around people who love him. Right? They're saying, Spirit of God, word of God, speak. People of God, encourage me. I'm positioning myself to be filled up. So he said, but not only to be filled up, I'm rooted in ground. So I, I look, at, look at 
look up and you see the height and the breadth and the love of God. And he says, you know what it's like? It's like filling a, a bottle with seawater and then throwing the bottle into the sea. And he says the sea is filling that bottle and the sea is surrounding that bottle. It is filled up with the sea and it is in the fullness of the sea. Get that picture? He says, that's what Paul is praying. That you would see that God is all around you, guiding your history. God is all around you, shaping eternity. God is all around you, moving the pieces on the board. God is all around you, saving people and redeeming them in Jesus' name. God is working works of kindness in you that you thought at one time were impossible. And does that mean life is always easy? No. But I trust that God's got me. I'm surrounded by the fullness of God. And the more I sit in his word and the more he settles in me and the more I'm settled in him, filled with the fullness of God, surrounded by the fullness of God. Can you imagine if you walked out of your house every day knowing that you are loved, filled with the fullness of God? You are valued and God is leading your story. And you're not an accident. How many of our decisions are led by our insecurities? What would happen if we were filled with the fullness of God, surrounded? How different would we be? How would, is that even, what would be possible for you? Bart Millard wrote the song, you know, I can only imagine, and they made a movie about it recently, and the movie opens up with his dad's abusive beating of him, if you've seen it. You think you're going to this cute, adorable, Christian, hallmarky movie, and this kid is getting beat. But through the, through the course of that movie, his dad realizes that he's dying. And he starts listening to the radio and he, he puts his faith in Jesus. And he says, you know, I watched, I watched the biggest monster in my life get transformed by Jesus. And I became the man that I wanted to be. And he was already a minister. He was already standing on stages like this telling people to trust Jesus. And he said, but when I saw that, suddenly God got so much bigger, so much more intimate that I realized that this God can do anything and this God reached down and he touched my story. The more you let God enter into your personal story, your view of God gets bigger. Your foundation gets sturdier. And the last part of this scripture says in verse 20, Brent, you can come ahead. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to, be, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The more I'm planted in him, the higher my worship will go. The more I'm rooted in his love, the more I see how immeasurable his greatness. Do you believe that God can do immeasurably more in you? Do you believe that he can change family members in your life? Do you believe that he'll, he can heal some of that insecurity that you're holding on to inside of you? Do you believe that he can set you on a path out of the pit that you're in and give you some purpose? You know, I get the privilege of watching him do it almost every day but what I what, what really stabilizes me is when I see him do it in me and he does when I see him change me I can only imagine what he might do the God of immeasurably more for those who trust him. And I pray that's us. That we invite him to make himself at home. There's so much work for us to do as a church. Can anybody say amen to that? There's so much work for us. But it won't make a difference if we're not rooted in his love. There are many challenges that will come at you in life, but you can weather the storm when you're rooted in a love like this.
Would you stand? I just want to end with this song that Pastor Brent wrote this week in a response to this scripture. We sang it earlier, inviting Jesus to make a home in our heart. Would you do this as a prayer as we kind of close this time together? Yeah. Lead us. Make yourself at home. Make yourself at home. Make yourself. Thing 
as we come and our house is a mess. We think I'll never be good enough to come into the house of the Lord. You don't know me, Jesus. You don't know my mess. But let me just say, there's something about putting your trust in this Jesus and inviting him in that makes your house a home. <laughs> he already loves you. He already loves you. So with nobody looking around, we're not gonna embarrass you this morning, but we just want a prayer, a, prayer, a prayer of agreement with you this morning. Is there anybody that would say, yeah, I wanna let Jesus into my home for the first time this morning? Would you just raise your hand? We wanna agree with you this morning. I think this is a prayer that we could all also enter into this morning, right? Yeah. Father God, make yourself at home. Yes. We invite you in and we surrender every part. God, and when we do that, we know, even the atheist says it, nations will be changed. South Dakota will look a little different. Rapid City, the landscape will be changed because Amen. of the love that you've seeded in our hearts, that you've made residence. May we declare your name, your fame, your glory as you come and fill us, as you take your place. God, as we surrender here this morning as the family of God, you do your work and you do the miraculous, God. We're going as sent ones this morning. Fill us up to be spilled out. God, only you can fill us. Only you can satisfy. Make yourself at home. Be settled in so that we can be filled up to go. Thank you, Father. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.